Welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We started Someone to Tell It To in 2012, and all along, our philosophy has been to listen. Because our mission is to cultivate meaningful connections through compassionate listening and to train others to do the same, we thought it might be best to highlight both aspects, listening and training in a podcast. Both listening and training continue to catalyze this global listening movement where someone's voice is being heard. Someone is being reminded that they matter and someone doesn't need to feel alone in whatever they are facing. We'll be posting two episodes each month to start. One will highlight training because we can all benefit from learning how to become better listeners. The second will highlight how listening has played a vital role in an individual's journey. We are so excited to share these rich conversations with you. We've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what to call the people we listen to. You know, are they clients, friends, storytellers? Nothing quite fit. So we wanted a name that represented the type of relationship we try to build and the way we value those we listen to. But the fact is we struggle. We struggle to find a single word that could accomplish what we realized, what we needed. So in the end, we were surprised to find the answer that was staring right at us. Someone. Someone with a story to share. Someone who needs a friend. Someone who is grieving, angry, lonely, afraid, or has questions about matters of faith. Someone who simply needs someone to listen. We always hope to establish a mutual relationship between friends who are sharing life's journey together. So that means that you are someone. You have a story worth sharing. You have inherent worth. You deserve to be seen, heard, and known. It also means that we are someone. We have stories of our own. We value showing up and listening and compassion. We want everyone to know the joy of engaging in meaningful relationships. You'll see us using this refreshed terminology from now on. And when you see it or hear it, we hope it makes you smile. You are someone. Good afternoon, friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. This is Tom Caden, and I'm along with Michael Gingrich. We realize that we don't often um, introduce ourselves at the beginning, so we thought that that was important to do today. We're just so grateful that you you listen to our, our programs and follow along, and we hope that you're gaining a lot of necessary and important things and wisdom from these these programs. And so we're going to start off just by talking a little bit about our guest today, which we are thrilled that he agreed to be on our program. His name is John Gordon. John Gordon is a husband, a father, and an author. His best-selling books and talks have inspired readers and audiences around the world. You probably have read some of them. He is the author of The Energy Bus, The Carpenter, Training Camp, The Power of Positive Leadership, and his latest book, which we will talk about is the power of positive team. When he's not running through airports or speaking to businesses, hospitals, or schools, you can find him spending time with his family and taking long walks, which are when he gets his best ideas. 
John believes in keeping his bio short because of his past accomplishments in his mind are meaningless. What matters most is that he says something today that will inspire you to take action tomorrow. So ladies and gentlemen, John Gordon. We are excited today to have as our guest the best-selling author, John Gordon. So John, it's, it's, it's great to have you here. Um, we, wanna, we wanna start with a quote. And uh, you, know, you, you talk a lot about purpose in your books, your speaking, your coaching. And there's a quote that we're not sure exactly who wrote it. Some have attributed it to Mark Twain, some, <laughs> some to William Barclay. So you take your pick. Um, but it, 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 what really matters is what the quote says. It says, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. We love that. Was there a defining moment in your life when you knew the why? The day my wife came up to me and she said, you know, I, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You need to, <laughs> you, you need to change. Oh, wow. wow. And wow. Out, of, out of that negative moment, I prayed. I said, God, why am I here? I know I'm here for a reason. Why am I miserable? And I realized I was so miserable because I wasn't living my purpose. And I asked God to tell me what that purpose was and writing and speaking came to me in that moment. I'll never forget it. I, I didn't hear like this loud voice that said, you will write and speak. But I heard, you know, in my mind, it was like, you're here to write and speak. I'm here to do that. And I knew in that moment that that's what I was going to do. Like my mentor, Ken Blanchard had done for so many years. He was one of my heroes at Cornell. And so I said, I'm going to go do that. And that's going to be my path uh, for the rest of my life. Hmm. How many years had you guys been married at that point? My wife and I have been married, I would say now it was two, um, about, about four years, three, four years. Okay. Yeah. So that was a pivotal moment for sure. Big time. And I started this journey of, of trying to be a more positive person to be a better husband, a better father. I had two small children at the time. I was allowing the stress and the fear of life and all of the the worry, the worried emotions and the, and the feelings of not being able to provide for my family and what happens if I don't succeed and what about these two small children? And I was allowing all that fear, all that emotion to get the best of me. And that stress was beating me down. The fear was consuming me. And in that moment, I had to learn how to trust. So you had mentioned Ken Blanchard a moment ago. Ken obviously is a dear friend of ours, and that's actually how we got to know you. And if you remember, if you remember us, uh, a few years ago, we were down in West Palm Beach, Florida, visiting Ken. Ken had invited us to a conference that you guys were co-leading together, and we were privileged to be able to attend. And I remember it. This is Tom, for our listeners. I remember walking into this this room where you and Ken were standing up front and you came up to both of us and introduced yourself to us, which is so true to who you are uh, and everything that we hear about you. Uh, but we didn't know what you looked like. And so you came all, all the way up to us to introduce yourself. And, um, and as soon as obviously once we knew who you were, 
um, based on your writings that we had read and everything. Uh, we just made the connection instantly, but just uh, really appreciated the fact that you went out of your way that day to, uh, to welcome us and make us feel appreciated. And, and obviously the conference was just fantastic and, and really um, cemented our love for, for your writing and your speaking and your workshops and everything. And we've just been following you uh, ever since. So, so thank you. I appreciate that. I, I have to say, I, I don't remember you guys at all. We assumed that yeah. we figured. No, that. I'm just teasing. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I totally remember. We even talked about it and you had even started a, a Facebook page around your nonprofit. And I do remember it very close and uh, very like it was yesterday. And I remember you telling me that in that moment and even uh, talking about your affiliation and your work with Ken on that. And so uh, that was our conversation. So I, I, I have a really good memory, so I'm able to remember a lot of things. And so I, I, I do remember you know, you that moment. So many people. Well, so. we are impressed. Yeah. So th <laughs> thanks, thanks for, thanks and for telling us that. And if you didn't remember us, that would have been okay too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And actually, we, we, you know, this is also important for our listeners. We had reached back to John shortly after that conference and just said, hey, would you be willing just to maybe endorse our work or as you learn more about our work and and uh, possibly, you know, maybe do a newsletter blast. And, and John, I remember your response in one of the emails. You're like, I don't know if you guys are ready for that, because I do have a pretty substantial following at this point, which that was many years ago. And we're, we're glad that things have worked out the way that they have, because now we're at a different place as an organization. And uh, we think we are ready. We hope so, we're ready. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah no, you're ready now. That's definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to start here. We'd like to talk about trust. That's an important, we think a very important thing in, in, in getting people to connect with, with one another and people to get to know one another, that trust is, is really essential. And uh, in your book, um, Soup, you have discussed how trust is one of the most essential ingredients uh, to building a great relationship and a you know, winning team and a culture, a culture of greatness. And uh, you, you write about that, you know, without trust, you, you can't have engaged relationships. And without engaged relationships, you're not going to be a successful leader or manager or salesperson or team member, principal, teacher, nurse, coach, whatever, whatever it is. And you had a list of 11 things, 11 reminders you wanted leaders, colleagues, team members to know about how to build trust. Now, um, we'd like to talk a little bit about that. And first of all, why is trust, why, why do you say that trust is so essential? Well, I remember my mom telling me, don't ever lie to me because I lied to her about something. And she yeah. said, don't ever lie to me because if you lie to me, I can't trust you. And if I can't trust you, we can't have a relationship. And that's where that came from in the book was really from my mom's words. And we know that we have to have trust to be able to, count on each other to be able to have a strong relationship, to have a strong team, because it's that trust of knowing that you can count on that person, that that person cares about you, that they will do what they say. And it, if they're moody, you can't trust them either because you don't know what to expect from them if they're moody. So a lot of times when I talk to teams, I actually talked about talk about how moodiness can sabotage your team. So if you have that trust, if you have that that bond that I know I can count on that person, I know that person's not going to talk behind my back. I know that person is looking out for me like I'm looking out for them. That person is focusing on we, not me. Once you have that trust, I believe it's tribal, right? We have to trust each other 
for our survival, also for our our health, our wellness. We're going to need each other at some point and have to count on each other at some point. And it's that trust that allows us to have this great relationship. We agree. Uh, and, and in the work that we do in listening to people and helping to enable them to, to be vulnerable and to open up and to share the depths of their, of, of their hearts and their souls so that they can find you know, release and, and healing, we know that trust is essential for that because most people are, most of us are not going to open up and share the depth of our, of our hearts uh, unless we trust the people we're, we're, who are listening. Yeah, great. And we're surrounded by, and so that is so important. And we resonated so very strongly with this uh, in your writing, and appreciate it so much. So we loved this when we we saw this post that you had made about this list, and you had asked your listeners, your readers, what what did I miss on this list of of, of eleven attributes or characteristics of trust in a team and a company and organization, and uh, you asked you know, others to leave a comment and we didn't leave a comment, but we, as we were looking through the list, one thing that we noticed that wasn't on the list that we, uh, we would love you to talk about is, is laughter and just joy and, um, and how that, that plays into uh, building a trusting relationship. So, um, you, but you didn't leave a comment. Yeah, we did not, but we will. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> we want we want you we want yeah. you to comment. Yes. <laughs> we would have we would have grown so much from your insights on that. Yeah. I mean, what would you what would you what would you say? Yeah, well, it's just in our work, we deal with such heavy matters. I mean, people generally don't reach out to us through someone to tell it to unless they're carrying some heavy burdens. And so we find that laughter truly is one of the greatest medicines because it, it does lighten people's load. It lightens the burden. It uh, reminds us that there still is goodness and things worth celebrating in the world. Um, you know, and, and obviously we all go through deep, deep trials and tribulations in life, but we also believe strongly that we can all rise above our, our trials um, through moments of, of, peace and calm and serenity and, and, uh, and, and goodness humor, and humor yeah. then and humor. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th and I think the number one thing that we're, we're asking of the people that we meet and interact with, even strangers on a plane, you're thinking, can I trust you? When we meet people, we're subconsciously thinking that. And when you have someone that you can tell something to, and you know that you can trust them and you share once you do and you're vulnerable, that vulnerability then paves the way for a meaningful connection. And that connection and bond then leads to commitment. And then once you have commitment, then you have a strong relationship and a strong team. I always say you have to have connection first before commitment because you'll never have commitment without connection. So it's the connection that leads to the commitment. So, so there's a there's a process that has to take place for for trust to occur it's not like right away i could just know i could trust you but there's a sense that i can and then over time that trust is developed by someone's actions and by their follow-through and by their integrity and how they live their lives so there, here's another list that you've had in your recent writing. You said five ways to love your team, coworkers, and family today. And I'm just going to read them, and we'd love you just to expound upon them. Number one, make time for them. Number two, obviously we resonated strongly with this one, listen to them. Number three, recognize them. 
Number four, serve them. And number five, bring out the best in them. Yeah, these are from the energy bus, actually. That's right. And five ways to love your passengers. And all these ways allow you to build that relationship and let people know that, that you're there for them. Listening is one of the best things you can do. We're not very good at it, right? Because we're all trying to mm-hmm. talk. But when we when we do listen to someone and hear what they have to say, we let them know that we care about them. My wife, when I listen to my wife and she's like, all right, you know, you're really listening to me. This is great. Once I, when I do that, it, it's amazing how we, we develop a, a stronger bond. If I'm on my phone, if I'm busy doing something and I'm not taking the time to listen, well, then I'm not showing her that I love her. We all know the book about love languages. Everyone talks about that. And so how do you show someone you love them? These are some ways that, that will demonstrate the love for them. Yeah, that's something we've just always really valued about your writing and your speaking is that you care deeply about making sure things are well at home and that you practice what you preach at home uh, because it shows and your teammates at work know it and can sense it. And so, um, again, we just really appreciate that about you. Yeah, the, the world knows it. I mean, if you're not investing in the root, you will not have a great supply of fruit. You may have a short term harvest but it won't last. You have to make sure that you're investing in that root and your relationships and the people that matter most. And I had to learn that lesson over time. It wasn't always the way. I mean, when my wife almost left me, I was not someone who was devoting my energy and time to being a great dad and a great husband. So I had to learn to invest in that root, but I have seen the fruit of doing that. And I've seen the impact on my marriage and my kids. 22 years now, my wife and I have been married and I would say we have, we have a really strong ma- marriage and it's something we've worked at a lot. How hard was it for you to make that transition to, to change in, in, in that regard? What were some of the struggles that, that you've had as you've tried to do that? I wouldn't say it was hard. I would say that it was about getting out of your, 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 get out of yourself, you know, getting away from yourself and moving towards others, moving away from me and being about we and really focusing on other people. So I wouldn't say it was hard because to be honest, in my faith journey, God changed my heart. So my heart started to change from the inside out. You can't care because the book says so. You can't care to check a box like, all right, today I'm going to do this and this and this to show that I care. That's not how it works. It's got to come from the heart. And so when there's a heart shift, a heart change, that changes everything. So I would say that that was the biggest thing that happened was a heart shift. But Of course, there are times we get narcissistic. Of course, there are times we focus on ourselves. And it's in those moments where you have to learn to put the other people first in your life. You have to take a deep breath, slow down, say, okay, I'm going to put them first and then I'll get to this afterwards. And somehow, some way it always works out is what I've learned. You think you have to do it now, but say I'm writing a book or working on the project, I would put my family first. And then when I needed to, Next thing you know, the energy flowed and I was able to finish the project in a, in a miraculous way and it just somehow came out. And I think when you put first things first, as C.S. Lewis said, second things increase and expand. Yeah, and that's a good segue. There's another question we had for you. You've often written that we often have to lose what we thought we wanted to find what God wants for us. 
And when has this occurred for you? Oh, all the time. I mean, I wanted to be the next Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer years ago. <laughs> and my wife has a letter that she, well, it was a letter she wrote me, but never shared with me. It was almost like a, a journal entry. And she read it to me the, the other day. And it was like, um, you, you talk about all these things you want to be. You talk about doing this, this, and this, but you're not living it. And it was like, wow. And um, so I thought I wanted to be that, but it didn't work out. I got on the Today Show and four weeks in a row, a great series, millions of viewers. This is when those Today Shows and Good Morning America's had the world's attention. <laughs> and, af and after that, after that, um, you know, things fizzled. And it was during that time that God was molding and shaping me and developing me to being who he wanted me to be. And then I wound up writing the energy bus Yeah. and that book would go on to become a bestseller, sell 2 million copies. It would, it was everything I wanted to be, but my picture wasn't on the cover. Mm. It, I've never put my <laughs> picture on a cover of a book since and I, I never will. A mm. uh, little small thing in the back cover, but not on, on a cover of a book. And so that was just one example. I wanted to be in politics and I was a government economics major and I ran for city council of Atlanta and I lost my first election. Wow. And I, and I, I walked, you know, walked door to door to 7,000 houses and I thought this was my future and I lost that election, but that led me right into the future to find my destiny. Sometimes you have to lose a goal to find your destiny. And that's what happened to me. We've read much of your writing and I don't remember reading that or learning about that. So that appreciate your openness yeah i've shared that on, on a little bit on social media but really haven't written any books yet and um but it is fun to you know post at different times during political season and things like that but i i've you know i i know a lot about politics and you know i've thought about even running at some point now but i would only run from one of the highest offices there there is if i ever did it and it would be to really create change, but I just don't think that that's in my future. I would only ever do it if I thought, okay, I want to try to change the world. And I was really, really adamant about doing it and thought that I could do it. It's getting pretty dire right now. and scary where the world's going. <laughs> like I, may have, I may have to run sooner than later. But, <laughs> yeah, we'd vote for we'll, you. We'll be looking for you. <laughs> but, but again, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, it gets so negative. And do I really want that type of, energy in my life when I could just focus on making people better one person at a time and trying to inspire and encourage people one person at a time. And yeah, I don't have the biggest platform um, at all, but I at least can do it where I am and, and, and on a daily basis and on a weekly basis and via the talks I give and social media and so forth. So, you know, perhaps I can make a bigger impact that way. But at some point with the you know, the glyphosate issue that we have on our crops that is really affecting everyone's health. They should be banning glyphosates. I can't believe they haven't. Glyphosate's in Roundup, and it's what's sprayed on all of our, our crops. And it's why if you actually track from when they started doing that in the 70s and 80s to really getting into it in the 90s, that's when all the gluten sensitivities came about. It makes so much sense when you look at the incidences of, of chronic disease and gut issues and irritable bowel and all the challenges people are having and autism all tied to this one thing and yet no one's doing anything about it so 
something like that like would would drive me the injustices that we have and you know in the world in terms of um you know my wife was arrested at the airport not too long ago and uh because she, she had a lipstick taser on her for protection but for, forgot it was in her purse and next thing you know she's being handcuffed by three uh, big policemen in, in LaGuardia Airport. Wow! And mm. and and that gave us a really it's a it's a long story. It's a funny story. I'm not going to go into it now, but it, it's funny in a lot of ways now. Look back. <laughs> was it funny at the time? Sure, it wasn't funny. No, no, it was not. It was not funny. I mean, when they came out, they said, you know, uh, got good news. Your wife's not a terrorist, and um, <laughs> she doesn't have a record. I'm like, okay, that's good to know. Um, <laughs> You know things like that. It was, yeah, it was, it was a Twilight Zone experience. They, she was gonna have to stay overnight in the Queens City Jail. They were gonna move her to this Queens City Jail from the LaGuardia Jail. She was gonna have to stay overnight because the judge wasn't in. She would have to see him in the morning or even the next day. I'm thinking this is crazy. She said, "Here, just take it." They they said, "No, we have to arrest you," and we had the resources to to deal with that and get her out. But I I think about. What about all the people who get arrested that don't have the resources? What about the people that are put into jail because of the color of their skin? And my dad was a New York City police officer, so I am very pro-law enforcement. I don't want people to think that I'm not. But there's our justice system and the way it plays out, I have seen and having experienced it, I thought, okay, this is, you know, this was something that woke my wife and I up to what's what could ha what's happens in the world. And maybe how we can rectify it. So anyway, so so you know, I'm getting more and more driven in that way to to just try to make a positive impact besides just sharing encouragement. We appreciate that, and and your passion, and your your commitment to those kinds of issues because they they're so terribly important. So so thanks, thanks for sharing that. Thank you. We're really thanks. glad to hear that. Um, there's a quote of yours. There are many, many, but here's here's one that we really love. And we want to, you know, ask you a little bit about this. The quote is, remember, you have only one ride through life. So give it all you got and enjoy the ride. So what does that mean to you to give it all you got and to enjoy it? It means that so often we allow fear to keep us from the life that we want. We allow fear to hold us back and we never step into the life that God has called us to live and the life that God has for us. I believe that God has a plan for our lives, but we have to receive it. Like we get these ideas, we get these impulses, we get these visions and too often we say, oh, that can't happen or we don't believe we're worthy. So we don't feel worthy or we don't believe it's possible. And so we're never able to receive what God has for us. Our job is not to doubt it. Our job is to say, okay, I have this idea, I have this vision. Maybe it's something I got to go for. And then say, all right, I'm going to take action. I'm going to believe somehow, some way it's going to be possible. And if it doesn't work out, okay, I tried, I put it out there. What am I supposed to do next? And I think we allow the fear to hold us back. My wife and I moved to Ponte Vedra Beach, Jacksonville area from Atlanta. 18 years ago in June and we were young and my wife said, Let, let's move to the beach. She wanted to move to the beach. I said, fine. I had a job in sales. I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills if I lost my job. I didn't know what the future held. I knew that my wife wanted to move to the beach and we had a dream of living near the water. So we just said, hey, let's go for it. We're young. Let's go for it. We move. A lot of things happened. I lost my job. The dot-com crashed. That's when my wife almost left me. There were a lot of negatives, but out of that came my vision, my purpose, my passion, started writing and speaking. And now uh, I get to live this life that, that 
I could have only dreamed about back then. I'm doing what I love. I'm doing what I'm called to do. And it wouldn't have happened if I didn't take that leap of faith. So I know that people are meant to take a leap of faith. You only have one ride through life. I am 48 years old right now. So how many more years do I have left? How many more great years do I have left? Maybe 30, 30 great years, right? Brings me to 78, only 30 years. That's less than I've lived right now. Maybe my mom passed away at 59. So I'm 11 years away from when my mom died. My dad who raised me since I was five, he just passed away a couple of years ago. He mm -hmm. died at 72. So you really evaluate, evaluate your life and you say, you know what? What am I so afraid of? Like I could die tomorrow. Like I'm going to go for it. I'm going to enjoy this ride that I have. I'm not going to let fear keep me down and I'm going to move forward with faith and trust and I'm going to work hard to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And I think so often we allow fear to keep us from moving forward, from taking chances, and from going after the dream that we have in our heart. What are we so afraid of, do you think? We are not afraid. We are instilled with fear. It is a spiritual battle. So it's fear of not being enough, fear of, of uh, not being loved, fear of not succeeding, it's fear of our identity that if we fail, this means we are a failure. You will always be attacked in the place of your identity. And when you know that there is an enemy and he's, his name is the father of lies, and this enemy is always trying to instill us with fear and doubt and lies. And I ask people all the time, do these thoughts, do these beliefs come from you? And they say, yes. And then I say this, really? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Would you ever choose to have a negative thought? This blows people's mind because they're like, wait a second. No, I wouldn't. Exactly. Thoughts are always coming from a spiritual place in consciousness. They come in. Those negative thoughts come in that say, what are you, crazy? You can't do it. Your best days are behind you. You failed at this. You're a failure. Those thoughts come in. They're not coming from you. Your job is to understand that they're lies and not to believe the lies. Instead, you're supposed to speak truth to the lies. Speak truth, walk in that truth. And the truth is, you're here to do great things. The truth is, you wanna be great because everyone tells me they want, they want to be great because you know that you have greatness inside of you. And even if you're not living a great life or if you're an athlete, for instance, you're not performing great, you always have the capability to be great the next day, the next moment, the next opportunity. So there's always that greatness there. And so you have to understand that and not allow that fear and the, the enemy's lies to keep you back. So where does it come from, the fear? I truly believe, truly believe it's a spiritual battle. The scientists and those who believe in evolution and so forth, they will tell you. And again, there's, there is this part of evolution. We are evolving all the time. So I'm not going to say there's no evolution whatsoever, but part of part of this they will tell you that oh well the fear is about survival the fear is about um you know wanting to be accepted by the tribe but they can't tell me where fear of not performing well comes from where a professional athlete making millions of dollars who's already had incredible success when they step up at bat at the plate and they're playing a baseball game 
where the fear comes from that says that if they fail, if this doesn't go well, that they are a failure, that they are not worthy. That is only being attacked in the place of identity, and identity is a spiritual battle. Am I making sense with this? Absolutely. We understand it. Yeah, because so many of the folks who reach out to us just feel unworthy in their lives. And we're constantly trying to remind people and remind ourselves of our belovedness, you know, that we're unconditionally loved, that we're all valued, yes. that we all do matter, that we all do have or have been created for a purpose um, by God for the world. And uh, we love that you talk about how we are on mission to show the world uh, you know, that we are on mission, um, that, that we don't have to tell the world your mission statement, but we have to show the world that we are on mission. Show the world your love. You do that all the time with, with your mission and what you do. And people so often give up, not because it's hard. They give up because they get discouraged. And when they get discouraged, they just want to call it quits. And what you guys do is you encourage them. You encourage them with the love of God. And I love what you said because the ultimate truth is that you are a child of God and you are loved. Now, it's hard for people who are going through something to understand that in that moment. But if they could, if they could truly understand that and feel that and know that, then they would not be afraid. They would not feel fear in that moment. Their identity would be rooted in who they are in God, that they are, are loved by God. And they would understand that there's a purpose for their life and that they would then in that feeling, in that moment, then be encouraged and hopeful to continue to move forward, to live another day and to continue to work towards this plan that God has for them. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to let people know that too many people are giving up their lives today because they are discouraged. And so the enemy uses the, the lies, he distorts truth. He speaks lies and the goal is to discourage and to instill you with fear to keep you from the life that God has for you. But here's God's central question. Will you trust me? So it's this back and forth battle between the enemy wants you to believe his lies. God says, trust in me. And the enemy knows that if you won't trust God, you'll believe his lies. But if you'll believe in his lies, you won't trust God. God knows if you trust in him, he will show you towards your future and give you hope and a plan. And well, uh, he will show you a plan that he already has for you. And so it's that battle every day between the lies and fear and discouragement and truth and hope and love. And once you can see that how this battle is being played out, how this game is playing out, and you understand, you can choose, right? Mm -hmm. You can choose the light. Instead of the dark side, the force, right? Star Wars, <laughs> right. the battle of the battle of good versus evil. Harry Potter, instead of choosing you know, the wicked side, you can choose the Harry Potter side and that branch and go in that direction. Instead of the evil ones in Superman and all the, the superheroes that we love and Wonder Woman, instead of going to the evil side, you can go towards the superhero side, the Avengers side. And all those movies resonate with us so much because they represent the battle within our soul of good versus evil. And once you understand that that's the battle, then we take it on with good and with truth and with God and with the love and we win the battle and we have an amazing life as a result of that. John, we just are resonating so much with everything you're sharing here. Uh, one thing that we, we love that you, uh, to practice that we've adhered to for several years is this idea of, of choosing a word to live by every year. And um, what's your word for, for 2019? It's expand. 
Last year it was connected, but this year is expand. And I don't want to expand the waistline, but I want to expand. <laughs> I want to expand my capacity to do all that I know that I'm called to do this year. So I want, I knew I needed to expand my capacity because last year I had some health challenges and some gut health issues. That's how I did all this research on gut health and why I'm having so many, so much stomach issues. And then I realized millions of people are as well. And so that's how I found all about this, trying to be healthy myself. So I wanted to expand this capacity. I want to expand my influence. So we started a training company. We're now developing positive leaders around the country and the world. And that's our mission to to develop positive leaders who make an impact on others in a positive way and change the world. So now we're doing that. We just had our first couple of trainings. They went amazing. So we're doing these public trainings now. So I need, I need to expand that. And we're expanding a consulting model where we're developing uh, teams to help teams become stronger, more united, more connected, more committed teams. So we have consultants that are joining us to work with teams to actually help them become more united and stronger. Because I feel like God wants positive leaders who will impact others and God wants us to build stronger teams because it's the united teams and the strong teams that make an impact and he wants us to be a strong team same thing with relationships this goes for marriages as well same principles apply so expand is my word for that and then I know that I can't do it alone so as I try to do it by myself I can only expand the balloon with the air that I have but with God I he expands the universe so by connecting to that ultimate power source, I will be able to expand, but only through his power, not my own. Have you had an aha moment where you, you're like, I've made it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you know, I, I don't ever feel like that. You know, my natural tendency is to continue to drive and expand and work and say, how can we do this better? How can we do this more? You know, I, I mean, I guess I should have had it when I was speaking to the LA Rams and the LA Chargers and the Dodgers and moments like that. I would say being with this company called Advocare and I was speaking at their annual meeting and they had like 10,000 people and I'm on this big old stage. And it wasn't like a moment where I thought, oh, I've made it, but it was a moment like, wow, this is really cool. And I'm grateful that I get to do this. So I think it's more gratitude and appreciation, but not like, oh, I've made it. I think once you have you think you've arrived at the door of greatness, it gets slammed in your face. <laughs> and so I'm always trying to make the next book my best book. The next book we have come out is called The Coffee Bean. It comes out July 2nd. So, you know, to me, I'm, I want to make that a successful book. And then I got this angst in me because I know I have another book that I'm supposed to write. It's been calling me now for 10 years. And it's a lot of the things I've been telling you about the uh, the spiritual battle and the negativity and the all that. So I know I'm meant to put that into a book and a fable. So I'm, I'm getting ready to write that. But I feel this angst as I'm getting ready to write something like that. Hmm. Well, you mentioned you mentioned your new book, uh, The Coffee yeah. Bean, and we were going to bring it up. So let's talk so about it. Perfect, perfect segue there. And so congratulations, first of all, mm -hmm. on having it published in, in just a few weeks. And what could you tell us? Would you like to tell us about about the book and, and what led you to write it? I would tell you that it's a very small book. It's not a big book. You can read it in 30 minutes. It has pictures. So it's an illustrated fable, great illustrator work with us. So it's almost like a children's book for adults. And we did pictures because we wanted men to read it. That's why we included pictures. Um, 
that's meant to be a joke, but I guess it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it took us a um, second. We, we, yeah. It was fun. <laughs> Think about that. We got it. We got it. <laughs> well, we, we have a launch team, and we have all these people that have got an advanced copy. And, and it's funny because all these guys are like, hey, I, this is a book I, I even can read. So it's just funny. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm joking. But but uh, we, we, we wanted to do it in a way where there was illustrations because we want it to be a very short – simple book because the main message is that when you are put into boiling hot water if you put that carrot into hot water first and foremost that carrot gets weakened and softened and if you put an egg into boiling hot water it gets hardened so like you if when you're in a pressure situation a hot situation in a difficult situation you can get hardened like the egg and become bitter and angry you can get weakened by your environment like the carrot or you could be like the coffee bean. And when you put that coffee bean into boiling hot water, within an hour, it actually transforms the water into coffee. And so you have the power from the inside to transform every environment you're in. You're not a byproduct of your circumstances. You are not defined by your circumstances. Instead, you have the power to transform your environment and your circumstances. That's positive leadership. That's how you make an impact. That's how you change the world. And that's how you overcome the adversity and the challenges that every person faces in order to create the future. I believe you're absolutely right. It, it just seems that so many people um, feel as if they're defined by their circumstances and that they can't do anything about it. They can't change the circumstances. They can't help things be better. And, and to, to have a positive message reinforced, uh, the fact that, yes, you can and uh, you're meant to uh, is so, so important. So needed. So, John, it's graduation season. And what, what kind of wisdom would you like to pass on to 20-somethings if you were speaking to a younger version of yourself? This is something I think about all the time because – you know, my kids are 21 and, and 19 and every year I, I send out some advice to graduates. I wrote a book called The Seed, which is a great book for graduates about finding your purpose and what you're meant to do. And so my advice to them is your dream job is often something you haven't even dreamed about. Like we think that we're going to have this dream and we're going to find this magical job and, and then we're going to go achieve it. So often our dream job finds us through a series of events and failures and obstacles and a winding path. And then we wind up finding the job of our dreams. Very few people like Derek Jeter imagine that they'd be a, a New York Yankee and then become one of the greatest of all time. That doesn't happen. You know, you're speaking so, to so a that. huge Yankees fan here. So I'm totally. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, good. Yeah. That doesn't happen for all of us. So that's one <laughs> advice I would say. I would also say to graduates, you're going to fail. So it's okay. Try to actually fail. Embrace failure. Know that along the way, these failures will help you grow. If you're not doing something adventurous, if you're not failing, it means that you're not growing. It means that you haven't really put yourself out there. I have failed so much. When I say try to fail, it's not like I, I, you try to succeed, but just know that put yourself out there in a way that failure is going to happen as a result of going after something. And the more we fail, we learn and grow and, and we really become who we are through those failures. And a lot of you know graduates, I would also say that, that your dream job may not even be invented yet. It may not even be something that exists yet. And you have to realize that too. So, so become someone of character, of value, 
by caring about what you do, by loving what you do, by serving others. If you love and serve and care, you'll you'll grow exponentially in your role, in your job, in your career, and also in your character. Then when the job comes along that that you're meant for, you'll be ready for it. But who thought there would be a social media marketing person that would manage social media for a company 10 years ago? That's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, we love that in your writing, you talk about that it's, we shouldn't be striving after success. We should strive after what we love to do and success will just naturally follow. I always say, don't seek success. Instead, decide to make a difference and success will find you. So, so live with that passion, that purpose. Do what you love because if you don't love it, you'll never be great at it. And people say, well, I don't know what I love. Well, start doing things that you enjoy. Start doing things that energize you. If you're doing something you love, you will continue to work hard at it. If you don't love it, you're not going to work yep. to be great at it. That's right. That's right. Well, one of the things we love very much is is listening. Yeah, that's we, we believe that that's what we've been created to do, made to do. And it, it gives us energy. It gives us joy. And one thing about listening is it's it's not passive. You know, it's an active thing. It's 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 more than just what we hear uh, through our through our ears, but it's also um, paying attention, you know, to a person's to a person's uh, body language, to you know, to the to the way they hold themselves or carry themselves. It's and it's also listening and hearing deep down about what their emotions are, their feelings, their hopes, their dreams, their values, and and what they love, and we want to know can you think of a few examples of leaders or people who listen to you and how they may have shaped you as a leader and how they may have shaped you as a as as a person who is now out there you know in the world you know trying to change the world to encourage people to motivate them and inspire them it was definitely my parents my mom was a listener my dad you know, listened a lot, asked me what I thought a lot. So they had a huge impact in my life. No doubt about that. I had teachers that listened to me and that spoke life into me and believed in me. And without those teachers, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. They encouraged me to work hard, to to play lacrosse, for instance. One of my coaches did. I wound up going to Cornell University. Experience changed my life. So that would not have happened if I didn't have these teachers who listened to me and impacted me. When I speak to schools, which I do often, I love to talk about the teachers who who cared about me, who listened to me, and made an impact in my life. So I, w- I would say those are the folks that really, really encouraged me and listened to me and, and changed my life as a result of that. Yeah, we often say that when someone's truly listened to you, you just never forget it. And you never, you never forget them. Excuse me, what'd you say? I, I wasn't listening. <laughs> That's right. Nice. We've never heard that joke before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that yeah. was really that, Should we cut that yeah, out, yeah. guys? That was really yeah. bad. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. No, I, no, we, we, actually, we love you. Again, since we brought this up earlier, yeah. sense of humor. We, we think it's so important. Yeah. And those kinds of things just diffuse us uh, just a lot. And, it, it, you know, a lot of negative negativity. So thanks for doing that. We, we, we've never heard that before. Like, oh, funny guy. Guy, Mr. Positive being funny. Yeah. 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 Well, again, we just are so grateful that you took some time to be with us. This has been something that's been in the works for a while now. And, and thank you for, um, yeah, just for, for all that you, you 
you are. I mean, everything that you you instill upon others, that the messages that you proclaim, um, you know, you are having a significant impact in the world, and you've had a significant impact in our lives. Uh, we want you to do something for us, real quick. So we have a board member who he runs a CPA firm here by us here in Pennsylvania, and his wife is a huge John Gordon fan. And if you could just, she said, I would do anything to be able to meet him face to face, but she, she can't obviously be here today with us. But uh, we just wanted to, to see if you would give her a hello and, uh, you know, just to tell her that you, you value her. It, it's the Gift family. G-I-F-T. So Mrs. Gift, I just want to say thank you for, for reading my books. And I really appreciate your encouragement. And um, it's an honor to be able to say hello to you and, and tell you thank yeah. you. Thank you for, for, for all that you do. And I'm not the hero you are because I write, but but you're out there making a difference every day. And I have a feeling that she's someone who makes a difference. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. Yeah. You're making a difference too, as we said, and, and we appreciate that so much. So and um and guys and and I do want and guys I want to recognize Ken Blanchard too for a second. I mean we mentioned sure. him a few mm-hmm. times, but you know, I do have to recognize him because one he's a mutual friend of ours, but without him there's no way I'm doing what I do. So he, he, he spoke life into me. He believed in me. He wrote the forward to the energy bus. So when people were picking up that book for the first time, they saw my name, but they also saw, saw Ken Blanchard forward. And I'm, I guarantee it's why <laughs> they read it in the yeah, first yeah. place. And so, um, you know, if there, whenever there's anything I can do for him, you know, he asked me to do a retreat uh, with him for his church. And I was there in a heartbeat, like I'll do whatever he needs and I'll always be there for him. So he's just such a special person in my life and an amazing person. And then I actually had a, a retreat recently where we did a, a servant leadership workshop together in uh, California. And it was so much fun as we did it together. And we had all these people come from all over and I asked him to do it with me and he did it and it was just incredible. And he talked almost the entire time. He was like, <laughs> he was, he was, he, I, it was easy for me. I'm like, all right, this is the easiest workshop I've ever given. And uh, I even said, hey, Ken, can I say something? He looked at me and goes, yeah, yeah, you could talk right now. And it was so funny. It was, it was so funny. And because he was so on and he was like in his element and he was sharing his joy and he was making an impact. And it was just so great to do that with him. And I'll, it was a moment I'll, I'll never forget. And the people that were part of that with us, you know, it was like watching the best of the best do his thing, you know, towards the final stretch. And n- now he's 80. And so really, really special to have done that. So did you attend his 80th birthday party? I didn't. I, I know that it was a, a big event, but I, you know, living where I lived, I, I yeah. couldn't make it. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, we had uh, we had mentioned on our podcast with him that we were invited out to their home and we spent three days with them, not not for his birthday party, but uh, about a year and a half ago. And it was just it was the best. Very special. I mean, very, very, special very special time. time. Yeah, yeah and amazing that that he just invites invites you to his home. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. The, the Blanchard Inn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he invited me and my family years ago to his home, and you know, it was a, it was a time I'll I'll never forget. And the funniest part about that though is I I we get into the house and we're about to go swimming in his pool, and I go down to change. And I have to go to the restroom and, and I and I look at the toilet and it's it's totally stopped up. 
And it wasn't for me though. It was stopped up when I saw it. I thought, oh my God, Ken is going to think that I stopped up his toilet. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what do I do? So I go upstairs. I said, Ken, uh, your, your toilet stopped up. I didn't do it, but I, 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 you know, I need a plunger. And he said, Margie, get the plunger. And so she got me the plunger and now I am plunging the toilet, but it's not budging. And so I'm plunging it. I'm sweating. I'm like, this is not a really good first meeting uh, you know, at Ken's <laughs> house. And finally I got it unplugged and, and I'll never forget, like, as we're driving away to my, with my wife and kids, I said, honey, I can always say I plunged Ken Blanchard's toilet. And yeah. so, so, but it, it was like, I'll never forget, like, first time meeting him, you know, going to his house, really being really nervous. And then this happened. And then I'm plunging his toilet. <laughs> and so, and when I brought it back up, he's like, oh, John, we got another one on the other side of the house we need your help with. And he totally <laughs> diffused it with humor and was just so, it was so great. But uh, I think that's a hilarious story that we're so close now. And first time we met, I, I had to plunge his toilet. That's a, that's a well, great we, story. We have a quick funny story if you have a minute. And uh, whether sure. this makes it on air or not, we'll, we'll go ahead and share it. When we actually went down to that conference, to, to visit uh, with you guys and to hear you 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 speak, uh, Ken was staying at the the Breakers Hotel and we stayed on the other side of West Palm and we'd we'd walk over um, and, and go to the conference. But one morning he and Margie invited us for breakfast at the Breakers, which for us is like, it's oh phenomenal. my goodness, I can't believe we're here right now. Yeah. Um, and afterwards, we we kind of meandered our way around the hotel and we ended up on the beach and we just sat down for a minute just admiring the view. And we actually got kicked out off the beach because we weren't we weren't staying in the hotel. And <laughs> so, we never, we never so, told Ken that so story. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. He doesn't know about that. He may, <laughs> maybe he'll hear it now. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Well, well, thanks again. This has been great. Really nice, guys. I, I appreciate it. So do we. Thank you so much. We thank all of you today for joining us on the Someone to Tell the Two podcast. We thought that John Gordon was a tremendous guest, and we're so grateful that he could join us. And we're grateful that you join us, too. We thank you for for listening, for being part of these conversations, and we hope that you've been inspired, that you've learned something, and that uh, you will continue to want to listen to um, our guests and the things that we talk about each time. So please, uh, we hope that you'll subscribe. You can go to www.someonetotelitude.org. You can you can subscribe wherever podcasts are posted. And we hope that you will, and you'll be part of our community. And um, again, we're just very grateful that you could join us today. Thank you.